Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings. It's part two of Oscar Week, the pools, the predictions, category by category. We're going to go through the 2021 Oscars pick so you can go win your pool. If you want to bet on the Oscars, highly recommend you check out yesterday's show up on Mayo Media Network, which you should subscribe to right now uh, and go to DraftKings Sportsbook and make all your bets over there as Scott Yeager, at Shot of Yeager on Twitter, gave us some uh, some dogs that maybe that we can get to. Host of the Challenge Mania podcast. He is back once again and I will let people know that Tim Andercust is coming up a little bit later on in the show so we know what people do not bet on. Would it scare you, Scott, that the person who has the biggest hex in the world on them and everything just goes wrong for what they pick has picked a Nomadland sweep? Um, yeah, I mean, would it scare me? No, that would actually kind of delight me because again, like, I don't know, it's sort of, you know, my wife accused, accused me of this. I watch reality TV sometimes with this, like, I just want excitement. Like I just, I don't want chalk, you know? And like, sometimes you just get so used to penciling things in that a little bit of excitement is interesting. You know, that's why when Viola Davis won the SAG, it was so, it's so interesting. And, you know, I, I think that if Nomadland doesn't like unconditionally sweep, if like Emerald Fennell wins best director, like sign me up for some support surprise now great like i want it to like be a surprise that i also enjoy you know i don't want it to be uh trial the chicago seven sweeps everything and sasha baron cohen beats daniel kaluuya but but no i mean one or two things that you know long odds dogs winning would be nice you know and, and i don't think i don't think nomad land is getting blanked so if he picks him to sweep and that means they only win two then then great awesome i love it so we're going to get into the pool picks. First thing I want to do is remind everyone to smash the like button for the episode in the comment section. Give me your single favorite best pitcher winner at the Oscars from, I don't know, let's say the last 40 years or so. Which of those is your single favorite movie that you want to go watch right now? Pool picks. So we broke down best picture. We broke down a lot of these movies in part one of this show in depth. We got to get to the picks. That's what people want uh, when they're filling out their Oscar pool. So to recap, best picture... The nominees are Nomadland, which is the betting favorite at minus 670. They have The Trial of the Chicago 7, Minari, Promising One Young Woman, Mank, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, Sound of Metal, and The Father. We are going with Nomadland in this category without any odds, anything like that. In our Oscar pool, we're picking Nomadland. Yeah, I mean, I, look, there's there's two ways to look uh, at an Oscars pool, which is, one, you got to win the ones that everyone's winning, and two, you can't just, you know, lose when everyone's losing. You got to pick a couple times to divert, but this is not the time. So I, to be honest with you, would, would check Nomadland here and know that what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to have Nomadland when it wins. And then some people are going to get cute and pick something else and not get this point. But don't be that guy or gal. Yeah, that's like when I picked Get Out to win in my Oscar pool. And that's the reason I lost. Yeah, I mean, I talked myself into weird stuff like that, too, that year. You know, Sean Fennessy, I think, at the ringer had kind of talked himself into get out winning. And I think that, you know, it's it, you, you, you do it out of boredom sometimes. You do it out of passion for the, for the movie that you really like. But here's what I'll say. An Oscar pool is not the place to do that. If you like a live dog, do it on the betting floor. And then here is where you chalk Nomadland. So then if you win that, you're like, great, I just hit six to one. Oh, I lost my pool. Who cares? But like always i think what's safe to do especially if you are going to be doing a little bit of betting is if you divert and go with the dog in some places 
check the favorite here because it's kind of a nice way to hedge, in my opinion. Yeah, and if people are unfamiliar with betting odds, you can go to DraftKings Sportsbook if betting is legal in your state and bet on each of the categories at the Oscars. But for people unfamiliar with what they're seeing on the page, uh, let's just take the next category, for example. Best actor, Chadwick Boseman, is the favorite in this category, and he is a substantial favorite. He is minus 1,667. The next closest person is Anthony Hopkins, who would pay 7-1 to on your money if you won. So let's just take an example of Chadwick Boseman here. You would have to risk $1,667 in order to win $100 if he ended up winning. Now, no one's really going to make that bet. I would say maybe you want to divert on one of them if you're really feeling an upset, but if anything is minus 500 or higher, which means you would have to bet $500 to win 100, just take all those ones in your pool, right? I just like to me, if you're gonna, if you think, oh, Anthony Hopkins has a chance, okay, throw $5 on Anthony Hopkins, but don't do it in your pool because everyone's gonna have Chadwick here. And you don't wanna have made a great call on animation short and have it get negated by the fact that you went against the grain for a 16 to 1 favorite. So take Bozeman here too. Yeah, that's really where these Oscar pools are won. Live, live, short, animated short, best documentary, best foreign film, that kind of thing. So that's where we really need your expert insight on this one. Best actress, uh, this category is wide open. Carrie Mulligan plus 125 is the favorite. Viola Davis, two to one. Frances McDormand, Andrea Day, and Vanessa Kirby. This was one of your bets on the betting show. So I assume you're going to stick it out here uh, in the best actress category with your girl, right? Yeah, I mean, here's what I'll say is that so with this one, obviously, I think you have you have three very live contenders here in Carrie, Viola, and Francis. Some people even tell you that Andre Day is live. I, I think that Andre Day's big win was getting this nomination on the heels of the Golden Globe surprise win. Um, but what what I'll say here is that you do sometimes get people. Sometimes you have to think about the psychology of your your betting compatriots uh, or your your pool compatriots. And what they will probably do is that some of them will bet based on instinct, and some of them will pick. Based Based on they will go and look at these odds. And so you have to think that here, even though she's a slight favorite, that Carrie Mulligan will maybe be an easy check for a lot of people. So similar, you know, sort of different from what I was saying before, where, you know, I said, if you're taking a dog, you know, maybe take the favorite here. I think here's the exception because I don't necessarily consider Carrie to be a big favorite. And I think that this is a place you can pick up a point. And I think that especially, I don't know if anyone does this, but occasionally, you know, we do an Oscars uh, pool for our patrons over patreon.com slash challenge mania. I will pick a few categories and have them be worth double points just to kind of switch things up. And when you have a hundred people in a pool, sometimes it helps with tiebreakers and such. Now, um, what I tend to do is I tend to do it based on the stature of the award, but in a year like this year where, you know, best picture director, et cetera, are such runaways, I will also go down and I will make your animation short worth two points, or I will make whatever I think the ones that have the, you know, the biggest, uh, I will, I will weight those. Um, and this is one where I think if this is weighted in your thing, this could be a pool winner here. So I would say much like I have her as the live dog, I would take Viola Davis here as well. Um, and I think you have the ability to maybe pick up some points among people who chalk down Carrie Mulligan on the ballot. Uh, the second biggest favorite betting favorite for the 2021 Oscars is in Best Director, Chloe Zhao, uh, minus 3,335. She's going to win, so just take her. <laughs> yeah, she's going to win. Uh, you know, it's a great uh, narrative there with uh, female director winning that does not happen often. Um, I believe Asian winner, I don't know uh, that we've had, especially an Asian 
female winner, um, which yeah, is the, great. And the, she, the only other one that I can think of is Ang Lee, who won twice. Oh, Ang Lee, yes. So she would be the second Asian Best Director winner, but I think first Asian female. Uh, and then she is actually the director of the upcoming Marvel franchise movie, The Eternals, which a lot of people have said, where's the trailer? And someone, uh, very funny, uh, Oscar pundit said, they're waiting for it to be able to say Oscar winner, <laughs> Chloe Zhao, uh, directed. But um, so she's got a lot going for her. She really made a great movie. And I think that her directing is at the forefront of this movie. But again, not in a very flashy way, not in the same way that like 1917 is just like with every moment is like bragging about Roger Deakins cinematography and the, the brilliant one shot style directing. This movie, I think, is just a really just a pleasant treat to watch and be around. And a lot of that is the way that she put it together. So um, I think she's actually nominated here specifically herself, not just for picture director, but also I believe in editing and or maybe adapted screenplay and cinematography or one of those awards. Um, I think she either shot it or edited the film herself. So she truly made this film like really, really put a lot of it on her back. So uh, she's going to run away with this thing and she's won everything pretty much. I don't think, I don't think anyone has won anything other than her for the most part. This is not the year to give Fincher his Oscar. Although I'm sure the year he does win it, it won't be that year either, but because uh, we can't retroactively give it to him for the films he should have won for. But uh, that being said, I think really this is a runaway win here. So I would stick with her here in a, in a pool. Yeah, for sure. I will give a shout out to another round. That is one of the few movies that I saw from last year, which was absolutely excellent. And I, I can never pronounce the guy's name. Was it Matt Mads? Markinen? Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen. I had never seen him as not like a supervillain in something. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting seeing him not playing a terrifying person with like he, you know, in in Casino Royale and in uh, Hannibal. Yeah, I guess in Star Hannibal, and then of course uh, in uh, Doctor Strange, and uh, he's in this movie Valhalla Rising. Uh, but even in the movie where I think he plays like the father who gets like kidnapped and like uh, forced to create the Death Star in uh, Rogue One, and he's still kind of creepy, even though he's like <laughs> supposed to be nice. But in this movie, he is very you know very humble and stripped down guy. And that movie, I, that I have that movie in my top ten as well. Um, and he actually stole the fifth director slot here, Thomas Vitterberg, um, which you know over the last few years you've. Seen seen this happen quite a bit where a foreign feature or an international feature will sneak into the director's category over somebody who you kind of penciled in. Uh, recently it happened. I think Bradley Cooper wasn't nominated where I thought he did a great job directing uh, a star is born. I think uh, a cold war um, Paul Pawlowski or something like that slid in. So similar here, Thomas Vinterberg takes that fifth slot from probably Aaron Sorkin, which I think Sorkin probably wasn't going to win, but I think him not even getting this director nod here, I think says a lot about the way that the movie now has kind of lost steam. And then also a lot of people thought Regina King might get that, that last slot, making it three female directing nominations um, out of the five, which we had never had, but we had also never had two. So we have two here with Emerald Fennell and Chloe Zhao. Uh, I'll say that Emerald uh, has the chance to pick up a nod here in screenplay. Um, Lee Isaac Chung, I think was a pleasant surprise for people in this category. So that's a great uh, just getting nominated. You never like to say uh, it's a pleasure just to be nominated, but I really truly feel for Lee Isaac Chung and Thomas Vitterberg. It really was. So um, yeah, shouts to that movie. That movie we'll get to in another category, but yeah, I really liked another round. I highly recommend it. It's on Hulu. Uh, best supporting actor. Uh, do we have to have the discussion here? There's a minus 2,500 favorite and what from our talk seemed to be your favorite performance of the year. Yeah. Don't get cute. I mean, this guy, I think he's m maybe, 
my favorite actor working right now. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Get Out and how you had kind of wanted wishful thinking, I believe, to, for that to win Best Picture. He is so great in Get Out. And it's one of those performances that has aged so well, because now that you've seen him in this performance, and if you've seen him, he's horrifying in the movie Widows. You have to see that if you haven't seen it. And it, once you've seen him do those movies, you go back and you watch him as Chris in Get Out and you're like, oh, he is doing a thing. Like, this is a guy who has so much depth to him and can, you know, can really knock it out of the park. And when he plays Fred Hampton here, he is so gripping and giving these amazing, amazing speeches and stuff. And then you go back and watch Get Out and it's like, oh, wow, he really is doing a thing being this really like, you know, assuming likable boyfriend guy who gets in trouble. And, and it's like, and so that th this movie almost made me appreciate that performance more, but he is so electric in this movie. It is kind of, I think, you know, people talk about category fraud all the time and I don't, like category fraud is the wrong term because, you know, people say the, the movie's called Judas and the black Messiah. How are both Judas and the black Messiah, both supporting actors? Who is the, who's the lead? And, you know, uh, and that, that I'll be fair. That's a point. I have that point, but, but I hear that point. But when you look at last year with Brad Pitt winning supporting and people look at the amount of screen time, he was in the movie for almost an hour. Um, you know, Leo's running in lead. You don't want to run him in, in the same category. Training day. I think Ethan Hawke is on screen more than Denzel Washington, but when you got Denzel as your lead and he's going to run away with the Oscar, probably put Ethan in supporting. And I think he should have probably won. But so for this one, this I would have voted for in maybe a different year in lead. Of course, you have Chadwick Boseman and that tour de force performance and the tragic narrative. And I get why they put Kaluuya here in supporting. It was a brilliant move to do so because he has cleaned up here. It is a borderline lead performance, a captivating one. He deserves to win this. I'm very happy he will be Oscar winner Daniel Kaluuya going forward. And uh, no, don't get cute here. The one thing people have started to say since the nominations came out for the Oscars is he's got alongside him here, Lakeith Stanfield there in the five spot. Lakeith Stanfield not nominated in this category in any other race. People say, is it going to split the vote? No, trust me. No one is voting Lakeith Stanfield over. I think Lakeith Stanfield is voting for Daniel Kaluuya. So don't get cute. Vote for D. Best Supporting Actress. This is one that you actually had money on and that we talked about that if you did want to take a long shot bet, do it in the betting market. Don't do it in your Oscars pool. You can handle the name on this one since you seem to have it down pretty much. Yun Yun Jung. Um, and she is, I think... I think she's as close to a lock as you can get with it, with only being minus 500. Hard to believe she was only plus 160 a couple weeks ago. Uh, I do think it's okay if you wanted to get cute. And when I say cute, I stress like $10 cute on Amanda Seyfried or Glenn Close, maybe. But uh, here in the pool, you got to take Yo Young Jung and and do it do it uh, willingly. And uh, I think this will be a category you win here. How bad is this Glenn Close, Ron Howard movie? So I watched it. I didn't love the movie. Uh, I didn't. I mean, it's not. It's not laughably bad. It's annoying because it's a. It's a. It's annoying because it's about people that you don't like. A lot of none of them really have any redeeming qualities. But she is. I think. I mean, she just to me transforms into this mima woman where you got to be almost told that it's her. And it's so funny that it's like she is she is an underdog to Maria Bakalova in the Borat movie. I think it's like if you took this character of Mima in this in this kind of you know movie that leaves a lot to be desired and just put it in Borat, right? And just had her play like a woman that Borat stays with in Borat, I think she runs away with the Oscar. You know what I mean? It's just like she's in this movie that people have such a self, like a hatred for. I think the guy who's the the central uh, character in the movie who wrote the book that it's based on, I think um, people don't really like him in real life either, I think. Um, 
And I, I, you know, I, I will say it, look, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, and I think her performance being nominated for a Razzie is a crime. Cause I think she was actually really good. And I think it's a crime. She doesn't have an Oscar. So um, do I think she wins? No. Would it be almost painfully ironic that this will be the reason if she does win that Glenn Close has an Oscar? Yes, but you've seen that before. I mean, that that's happened many times where this, you know, career performer who has decades of breathtaking work ends up winning for their like, you know, 75th best performance. But I do think it's it's honestly I think it's unfair to her and this performance because I think this performance was what it needed to be for this movie. It's just not a great movie, um, but it's not the worst movie I saw this year by any means. So, what, what was um, the what was the worst movie you saw this year? Who worst movie I saw this year? That's interesting. Okay, so. Um, I mean, what's interesting is that since you, you watch these movies at home now, it's rare that I don't just turn something off if it's like really bad. Uh, I turned off Midnight Sky. Uh, it was just kind of boring. I just, you know, it wasn't, you know, again, what, what wasn't maybe worse than, than Hillbilly LG. I almost was waiting for Hillbilly LG to get as bad as people had said it was, and it never did. It just kind of ended. Um, but so, uh, man, I'm trying to think, what was the worst movie I saw this year? God. Um, I, you know, I try, I try, I tend to do a good job avoiding movies that are truly bad, but some of the movies that I kind of, you know, didn't love as much as some other people did. And I, I hate to kind of crap on movies here, but like, you know, towards the beginning of the year, people were really high in this Ben Affleck movie, the way back. I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine, but like, I don't need to recommend it to anybody. Um, what else? Hmm. Uh, let me, I'll think about it, come back to it. But yeah, I mean, wasn't really like a, you know, I think what happens sometimes in a mo- in a year where you end up seeing bad movies, it's because you like go to the movies because that's what you had in mind. I wanted to see the movie or, you know, you get lured to the screening because the actor's there and then it's like, oh, that was bad. And that didn't happen too much this year because you kind of got to decide what you were watching every day of your life. You didn't even watch the best picture nominations. You know what I mean? So I doubt you watched many bad movies. So I don't really remember uh, too many bad movies this year. Um, now that I think about it yeah best international feature where minari is not eligible because as you've stated it is an american movie so it can't be in this that leaves another round as a gigantic favorite in this category and the fact that it was just nominated in best director as well seems like it makes us just an insta check yeah, and that's the kind of math that I do sometimes. Last year, I think it was, we had a documentary that was also up for foreign film. And uh, I don't even know that that worked out for me. But sometimes you do the double category thing and you're like, well, if it was good enough to be in best director overall, it has to win this. And uh, that checks out. I would I would check this box for the pool, but I know we didn't touch on it earlier. I'd say that, uh, man, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but I, this, this uh, Ida Covita, or Vadi, or, you know, I've, I've heard, I haven't seen it, but I listened to a lot of Oscar pundit podcasts, shouts to uh, Mike, Mike and Oscar, and also the next best picture podcast. And also uh, um, little gold men, which is a vanity fair podcast. And I've heard a lot of people mention that movie. And sometimes when I start to perk up is when I hear a movie, keep getting mentioned. And it's like, so if a movie upsets it as clearly it's in the second position there, it would be that one. Um, I don't hate it at plus six fifty. I think those odds are a little, I don't know. I think it's a little, those are a little steep. Um, that being said though, another round is very visible. It's easy to watch. It's on Hulu and it's got the best director nomination. So it's probably the first one of these five that if you're a voter, you run and go watch. So in the pool, I would definitely recommend taking another round, but if you're looking for another, if you're someone who goes, Hey, 
I'm watching the Oscars. I'm bored. I've got a hundred bucks. I'm trying to throw 20 on five different dogs. I wouldn't hate this one. So uh, here's one that, that is completely unbettable, but an auto lock for <laughs> your pool. Best animated feature. Soul is the biggest betting favorite on the board of any category. It's minus 5,000 to win. Now, how do we only get, this is what boggles my mind, right? So minus 5,000 for soul and you're only going to give me seven to one on wolf walkers. That's what I don't get, you soulless bastards. No, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't get, the, the math doesn't check out there, right? You'd be shocked how these uh, sports books make money, Scott. <laughs> but uh, I will say Wolf Walkers, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet it. You know, Soul's cleaned up in every single precursor, and it's a shoe in here. Um, but Wolf Walkers is among one of the most beloved movies of the year. I think a lot of people I've heard say, you know, in the same breath, loved Soul, but I, I liked Wolf Walkers more, or Soul's going to win, but I liked Wolf Walkers more, and... Hey, I wouldn't look, it would be the first, I believe, hand-drawn winner since Spirited Away. Um, Obviously, since the, you know, we're in the Pixar digital animation age, it's, you know, fewer and far between. Um, I would still stick with Soul here, although my favorite of the five is Onward. So just because I, my son loves it and I've seen it a bunch of times and Soul for me, and I probably am due for a rewatch, but what I'll say about Soul is I really loved the, you know, African-American experience stuff. I really loved the jazz stuff. I really loved the New York City stuff. I wish it was all that. Like, I wish the whole movie was about that guy and his family and the stuff in the barbershop. And and once it goes, like, existential and they're, like, in the chalkboard purgatory and there's the weird stuff, like, just aesthetically, I didn't love it. Like, I didn't love the idea of, like, the, the weird pirate guy. And I didn't love that stuff. I didn't get what it was saying about how everyone has, like, a passion. And so the the this movie... I, I appreciate the ambition, but that aspect of it didn't really resonate with me as much as say as like an inside out did when it kind of told you about feelings and stuff. So uh, soul, like the first, you know, the first third of it, I guess you want to call it. And that stuff I really loved. Um, but overall I like onward better as a movie. So best documentary, my octopus teacher, which is a movie I watched this weekend is the betting favorite at minus 500. You have time collective crip camp and the mole agent. Uh, do you get deep into these documentaries? Because I've only seen the one that's the betting favorite, and it has some of the most amazing footage I've seen in a documentary. And the movie itself I, I, isn't very good. I tried to watch it, but I, I mean, talk about falling asleep. But uh, here's what I'll say is that I really loved one documentary this year that's available on Apple Plus called Boy State. Um, really cool movie about this, like, camp that they do every year where they, like, get a bunch of, like, aspirational kids, all guys, I guess, and they put them on um, – it's like kind of an aspiring politician's camp uh, and Jesus. the footage they get and the characters that they cast. It's really good. Um, and uh, it's really, really, really good movie. I'd recommend it. It was in my top 15, I think. And uh, that was not nominated here. Neither was uh, Dick Johnson is dead, which a lot of people loved. Um, so kind of an uninspiring five. My octopus teacher kind of feels like a throw in. Like this isn't the type of movie you normally see here. Again, we talked about how we, you talk about how like Charles Chicago seven feels like a TV movie. This feels like something your science teacher puts on while he's while he like, you know, the sub is there. Um and so I'm surprised I mean, what happened was it won the documentary award at, at uh, the PGA and that's what kind of lofted it into the, the forefront here. But I think people before that had time penciled in. So again, to go back to your, your, you know, DraftKings, uh, I would, I wouldn't hate a time bet here um, at four to one. Yeah. So the octopus teacher, if people haven't seen it, the main guy is like real weird and creepy. And it yeah. uh, maybe that's why it has the angle like, oh, this, this documentary has depth because this guy's just so weird. But the footage itself 
is like watching Planet Earth footage. So if yeah. people dig Planet Earth, you're going to dig this movie just because it's stuff underwater that you just don't see in this way. I guess that's why people but like, like why it. doesn't but like why doesn't Planet Earth win like best reality show at the you know at the I don't Emmys know. every year you know what I mean I'm not like sure. it, you know it, that's why I thought it was weird that this was nominated because it's like a section of your brain you kind of just assume is gonna win some award show you don't watch you know like David Attenborough just has like a wall full of awards from some science festival uh, but so I wouldn't be shocked if this doesn't win here I will say it probably has like a bit of the Netflix machine behind it. Um, that might be uh, like, you know, they might be campaigning strong for it. It's very visible. It's very easy to watch on Netflix. And I think, again, here's what I'll say as someone who receives screeners, like if a movie, if I get the screener, but I can also easily do the two clicks on Netflix and have it in like gorgeous HD, like I'll do that and I'll watch those movies first. And so um, it's possible it wins solely because of that. But again, I, I do think again, I, you know, four to one, I think is nice for time. So, so time for um, one. Oh, did you see the admission scandal documentary slash slash reenactment? It. Yeah, it was really good. Loved it. So loved it. Reminded me of a Fincher, reminded me of Social Network. The music is was overseen by, I don't think it was directly scored by Atticus Ross, but it was it said music supervisor or score supervisor Atticus Ross. They completely hijacked the sound of the social network, which has such a quintessential, I mean, over the course of the last decade, to me has become so symbolic of like college, but also kind of like technology and a scam and this, and that, whatever. And so between that, between the way they shot it and they did this brilliant thing where they hired Matthew Modine to reenact all these conversations that were built off transcribes. And I really liked it to go back to, you know, that polarizing movie we talked about. I care a lot where it's about this scam. that's kind of hard to enjoy. Cause it's like, you know, they're taking advantage of old people. This is a relatively victimless crime. You know, like, yes, I know it's like taking spots from, uh, you know, universities from, from kids who deserve to get in, but you know, people aren't dying. People aren't being robbed. Like, you know, so you're kind of able to sit back and bask in this guy's like, you know, scam. And obviously he crumbles and all these people get taken down with him. And I really liked it. I don't like recreation shows. I don't like reenactment shows or movies. This did it the best out of anything I've seen. So I highly recommend watching that. The, be the best reenactment show since Unsolved Mysteries. I really liked that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I really it was good. Uh, best Here's my one thing. Oh. Let me ask you this. All right. Here's my thing with the problem, right? These are millionaires, right? Some of them own their own companies that are worth billions of dollars, right? The Lori Laughlin kid already has her own YouTube show with millions of followers and her own makeup line. And they're bribing USC so she can get into USC. What's best case scenario if the kid goes to USC? They graduate and become what she already is. It makes no sense. I, I also, people do like, this. maybe I'm wrong on this. Is USC that good of a school? For film and TV, it is. It's like, you know, it is. The, the, the film program and stuff. But yes, I get it. And I guess if you live in Los Angeles, yes. But it's not. It's not an Ivy League. Yeah, it's not Stanford. You know, so, yeah, it's a weird thing to do. It's like your dad is Massimo, right? <laughs> your mom is already, you know, uh, you, they could just make you the VP of one of their companies and you're already doing better than you could possibly do with the degree you're paying for. It makes no sense. Like, th it's such a weird like like that in itself was like i was able to watch this with the eye of like what a quirky scam like you know taking advantage of these people that don't even just take a step back and say instead of lying to my kid pretending they did better in school and buying their way into this school why don't i just jump start their life and have them not need the degree because i've already gotten to the point in life where i can do that you know that's uh what's the word nepotism and it's fun like this is nepotism at its dumbest
You know, it's like, oh, I'm a millionaire or a billionaire. So I'm going to pay to sneak my kid into school. It's like, why don't you just have it? So your kid doesn't need to go to school. That's the ultimate F you, right? Like, come on, people. Best original screenplay. This seems like the spot where Promising Young Woman actually gets maybe it's one win. Maybe it ends up winning more than that, although it is favored in the best actress category where we went a different way with our picks. I, do they love Sorkin so much that the, this is where they reward Trial of Chicago 7 and all of a sudden Promising Young Woman gets shut out? I don't see that happening. I'm going to take Promising Young Woman, but that scares me in the back of my mind. Sorkin got the globe for this category, um, but she, Emerald Fennell, that has won pretty much everything since. And I do think this is the one category it ends up winning on Sunday. Uh, this is the fun movie win category recently. It's where Get Out won. You know, it's where Quentin Tarantino often wins. And I think this is where uh, Spike Lee finally won for Black Klansman, but that was, I believe, an adapted. But screenplay is kind of where you give the award, the sometimes only award, to those fringe best picture nominations that people really loved, but it's just missing that like extra level of prestige to take it over the top. Uh, I think you couple the fact that she and not Sorkin got the double nom with the director nomination. She's not going to win it, but I think that helps put her here in a great position to win. So I think Emerald uh, Fennell wins here. He was also delightful on the crown, by the way. I don't know if you know that she's an actress as well. Who is she on the crown? So she is Camilla Parker Bowles. Oh, really? Uh, seasons three and four of The Crown, yeah. Okay, I, I actually finished off The Crown not too long ago. I actually watch more TV so, shows yeah. than movies. I, I really like The Crown. I'm excited for so, the next season. My wife and I just watched the four seasons within the last two months. And what's really funny is, so I make the joke all the time that like I, I, I both feel inferior in life that I know very little about the British monarchy and in some ways current events and whatnot, but it's worked out for this show because I've been avoiding spoilers <laughs> for 35 years. And now it's really annoying. Cause like my wife will be like mad at me. Cause I tell her I'm going to, Oh, I'm going to look up and see what happens to her. She goes, no, don't. And I go, why? She goes, cause you've made it this far. Like, wait till season five. I'm like, well, I don't even know if it's going to be in season five. Like, I just don't want to be an idiot when someone mentions something. I don't want to not know that someone died or whatever. Uh, and so Camilla Parker Bowles was someone who I did not know who that person was. And my wife is like, you really don't know anything about her? I'm like, no, didn't know. Didn't know that Charles had this like other woman he really wanted to be with and stuff. Like pretty much all I knew about Princess Diana, and this will tell you how dumb I am, was that she was the Princess of Wales and that she died in a car accident when I was in middle school. And I was at a birthday party and we tried to talk to her via a seance uh, with a Ouija board. But so I am so dumb that I thought she was from Wales. And that she was the <laughs> that she was the princess of Wales, and that Prince Charles met her in Wales, and then they decided to get married. And I'm watching The Crown, and I'm realizing, oh no, it's just a thing that the British colony do, where they just like they're like, well, now I'm the Prince of Wales, and now my wife's going to be the Princess of Wales, and neither of us are from Wales, and you know, and I didn't know that. And my wife was like, are you really that you didn't know that? And I was like, I had no idea. I'm just such an idiot that I apply context clues and go. Princess of Wales. She must be from Wales. Like I didn't understand the idea of just giving territories to them, uh, which of course is obviously probably a hot pressed issue. And I'm sure Wales doesn't love that, but so that's how little I know about these people. So whatever happens next season, I have no idea other than she's going to die in a car crash, but um, yeah. 
Oh, jeez. Spoiler alert. Come on. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, best adapted screenplay. Nomad Land is the favorite at minus 400. We've basically gone chalk in every single category so far. I think if we're going to take an upset, this feels like a really good place for an upset, whether it's The Father or Borat. Those are probably the two that you have to choose from. They're three to one and eight to one, even in your pool picks. Because just all the discussion around Nomadland doesn't really seem to have anything to do with the writing. It's the acting, the visuals, the directing. Like, no one's just like, man, you know what's a great, great, great read? The script for Nomadland. It just doesn't seem like that movie. And when that's the case, even for a big favorite for Best Picture, that you can see someone else sneak in here. And I could see them giving this one to Borat just to get Sasha Baron Cohen on the stage. I could see that. I could also see this being the lone representation for The Father, which is a Best Picture nomination. And I think it's interesting. Sometimes you look at the end of these award shows and you see that, oh, for the most part, one of you know, every one of these Best Picture nominations walked out with one statue. Um, so this could be where that cleans up. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad spot here to divert from Nomadland. Um, you're probably going to have a lot of people in your pool picking up the point if Nomadland does win. But look, there's not too many spots to divert. And this could be one of them so um maybe if you did throw a little coin on the borat maybe you take the father here or vice versa do it like that split the difference um borat again a lot of people putting stock into it winning the writers guild award um for comedy uh but i i just uh or not even for comedy for original um, or for adapted that's what it was and and nomadland wasn't nominated there so i don't know i i just think that I would go the father, maybe in both. I would maybe take the father if you're putting some coin down and in the pool. But I'm okay with not taking Nomadland. Okay, father. Let's put that one in. I might bet on Borat, too. I can just see them wanting to have him up there. I mean, yeah, it's not really fine. have him up there, but have him on screen. But imagine speaking. Borat 1 doesn't win and Borat 2 wins. But that, you know, that's, that's, class, weird... that's classic Oscars, though. Yeah. The thing that should have been recognized wasn't. They make it up years yeah. later. Right. So best original song. This category is actually kind of wide open. It's one of the few. Speak Now from One Night in Miami is minus 155. I'm not going to try to pronounce that, but from A Life Ahead, plus 225. Husavik from Eurovision. Is that a Will Ferrell movie? Did I miss a Will yeah. Ferrell movie? Yep, straight to Netflix, Will Ferrell movie, comedy, uh, Husavik is the thing. And uh, yeah, it's, a com- it's like, yeah, it's one of those over-the-top comedies uh, and it's about a song contest. So this is from that movie. Yeah. Fight um, for you and hear my voice both. Uh, 25 to 1 from Judas and the Black Messiah and Trial of the Chicago 7. Do you have any leans here? Okay. So what you have here is you have three best. Or no, no, you don't. You have two best picture nominees. And oddly enough, those are the, the two biggest underdogs. But what you have with Speak Now for One Night in Miami is the song is by Leslie Odom Jr., who's nominated for Best Supporting Actor. So this is the way that Leslie Odom Jr. gets that O for the EGOT without technically winning an acting award, uh, which I know people sometimes like to do. I think that's why he's in the forefront, although I believe someone who gets an Oscar for this second one here for The Life Ahead is a woman named Diane Warren, who's been nominated like as many times as Susan Lucci. Um, So it's possible that if people know enough about being able to give her the award here since it's not losing to a huge front runner that sometimes we get with like a let it go from frozen or something that maybe that gets the win so talk about live odds i think husavik might be the best song out of all of them even though it's kind of goofy uh it is kind of catchy um so i think those top three are all interesting uh picks here both for a wager or for the for the uh pool um 
Interestingly enough, I would say that, uh, I mean, I like the narrative of, of Leslie Odom Jr. Taking it home as the one win for one night in Miami and adding that Oscar to his mantle. Um, so I would probably still go him. Um, I actually like the betting odds so much that I might go with him, uh, to throw a little coin down. Uh, and then Diane Warren, I think, uh, could get her first Oscar here. The one thing is I believe that song is not in English. And I don't know that that has ever happened where a, a non-English speaking song has ever won. So, um, any of three of those, I'm, I'm open to it. You might get some people in your pool who put Husevic because they think it's funny because they actually saw that movie. But uh, I'm going to go Leslie Odom Jr. here, even though he's a mild favorite. I think he's a nice enough favorite betting-wise where it's still a fun uh, favorite to take. So, so I'd be open to, to betting that. So I'll go him on the pool too. Speak now, minus 155 and in the pool. That brings us to best original score. Giant favorite for Soul. Um, unless they somehow split the votes with themselves. Is that how it's going to work? I don't know, but it's interesting. They're both the one and two favorite here. So it's like if they lose, they lose to themselves and they don't even have to share an Oscar with John Baptiste. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think Soul is the best of both worlds because uh, both they and the movie has kind of two scores. You know, it has their kind of social networky techie score and then it has the jazz stuff and all that stuff is included here. So I'm totally cool with this movie winning. Uh, I, th- I told you, I think the best score of the year wasn't even nominated in Tenet. Uh, Minari's, got a, Minari's got a fun score, but I don't think it's enough to get it done here so i think i think soul wins and trent reznor and atticus ross take home another oscar yeah they won for social network right like what is probably widely known as the best score of the past 20 years yeah i think they're ripping off themselves with this score so i think it's like it's interesting it's you know i almost i almost think the mank score is almost more interesting from their perspective because to me that was like a that to me was a pitch i didn't know they had you know that was a curveball by them and they managed to perfectly score this movie that takes place in the 30s or whatever it is 30s and 40s and uh and have it scored like it's from that period but also with their level of sensibility and kind of the modern you know tension points and stuff so i actually found Mank to be the more interesting of their scores but i think when you throw in the jazz stuff from soul two for the price of one i get why that's the one getting it done but it's a little too derivative of their social network score for me to you know, really think they need to run away with it again. Well, it's funny because I I might be getting this wrong, but there's like weird rules in this category for score and even for song, but like, and maybe I have this wrong, but Johnny Greenwood wasn't nominated for best score for There Will Be Blood, right? Because he had stuff that was previously written or something, but it was not released. Yeah, it was stupid, but that's one of my favorite scores. Yeah, uh, that is a horror movie soundtrack for that movie. That and Social Network, I can just, in my mind, imagine like those are the two best scores, except for maybe, I don't know, Mulholland Drive from very early in the 2000s. Yeah, no, I I really love that uh, Greenwood score. It sucks that that didn't get to be nominated. I think he got nominated for uh, Phantom Thread, though, Um, Greenwood, but I don't know that he won, so... But yeah, I think that they've really, to me, it's so cool because I think Hans Zimmer has done this a few times, right? Like I think Hans Zimmer, you know, he did it in the, he did it in the nineties with both what he did with the Lion King score. And then you kind of had everything kind of having this like, you know, kind of African vibe. And then he also, the, the kind of action movie scores that he created with the Crimson Tides and the rocks of the world. And then um, Gladiator, I think has a, a little bit of that, but also a little bit of the, you know, uh, tribal stuff that he infuses in that movie especially towards the end and then he does it again with the nolan stuff and you know to go back to the bombs of the nolan and the trailers and the dark nights and the and the inceptions and the and then he kind of does it again with the you know the interstellars and the um 
and the Dunkirks of the world, Hans Zimmer's constantly doing that. And I think with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, we talk about it with the documentary we just saw about the admission scandal. They, with the social network, created this vibe of this, like, it's like very techie, like almost millennial thing where it's like inverting. It's like telling you that something is like a think piece and that's what they do with score with, with, with soul. And so much of the scoring they did is what takes place in this, like, you know, existential, you know, purgatory thing. And it almost like, you know, does you know, all this math for you just by having this score kind of, you know, the seeds that they planted in 2010 with the social network, it like tells you that like, this is a very intricate thing that was put together by God. And this is your plan in life. And it's like the same way that like Mark Zuckerberg is like, you know, putting together the thing on his window and it's been mimicked and mocked in, in so many times uh, once over. And there are so many things you can do with it that all resonate back to that social network movie and score and how, and truly is what, when people are putting together their decade lists, why to me, it was my number one is because even things like that, that you don't think about, that like, of course, Facebook plays a part in this too, but that movie that that came out in 2010 really set the tone, literally, score-wise, especially for the decade in movies and TV and stuff, and kind of put this millennial technological sound to filmmaking and TV. And all you have to do is either have Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross or have somebody who could do a good impression of them, and you can really just like, you know, create an entire sound space in the viewer's heads just with that you know, sort of thing that they created 10 years ago. So interestingly enough, 11 years later, they're kind of, you know, going to get a, a second Oscar for doing pretty much the same thing, but I'll take it. Best cinematography. Nomadland is the favorite minus 400 Mank, which one was the ACE award is plus 350. And then you have the rest of them. So Nomadland or Mank, is this a spot where we can take Mank? Yeah. So, I mean, look, I said it when I was talking. So I took Nomadland uh, at minus 200 and it is now beefed up. It is both beefed up to minus 400, but also has since lost a cinematography precursor award to Mank. So Mank won the Cinematography Guild Award. And, and the thing with that is people are saying, all right, the cinematographers understand the idea of interior lighting and black and white and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. But when you bring in the other people, Oscars wise, the big showy, you know, scapes and stuff of, of nomad land. It's still going to get it done. It's enough to scare me. It's enough to maybe say, do you want to throw a little bit on Mank? And it's enough to say that it opens up Mank as an alternative. If you're in a pool and you think that someone's taken nomad land in all these categories, I don't mind taking a flyer here on Mank in the pool. I really don't because of that. And I don't know that anybody in your pool is going to know that it won that cinematography award. So I think it's probably one that not too many people are going to take here in your pool. So that's always a good value. Best film editing, The Sound of Metal. This is the first time we've seen it pop up as a favorite for the amount of awards that it has. It's a slight favorite, minus 118 over The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is minus 110. Then you have Nomadland, The Father, and Promising Young Woman. They're all long shots. So it does seem it's between Sound of Metal and Trial of Chicago 7. Going through this so far, we have neither one of these movies getting an award. So I would think that... There is is. Because there was no movies really in theaters this year, and we kind of saw this with The Irishman a little bit, and even Roma to a certain extent, that there was backlash, I think, amongst voters, that these were Netflix movies, you could watch them on your TV, you didn't go to the cinema, and that's why there was kind of pushback against that. But now everything is streaming now that everything we're, seeing, is that. That we're yeah. seeing this year, so maybe right. that's not so much the case, but it feels like these the big prestige Netflix movie doesn't do all that well. Yes. Uh, it's and, and the thing is, is that especially with Trial of Chicago 7, sadly, the things that it did really well, other movies did 
better. And so, you know, had a great screenplay, but, you know, I think Promising Young Woman, the screenplay itself, the originality, and then obviously this great female auteur in Emerald Fennell being able to kind of give her this big award to kind of launch her career, kind of a better narrative, narrative than Sorkin getting another screenplay award. Then you go to editing here, and I think the movie's very well edited. I think it's one of its strong suits. Remember, it starts off by interweaving these pretty much seven different stories and then kind of bringing them together. And then it tells the story of this trial from inside out, and I think does a really good and effective job doing so. So I think this might be its only award, and I think it could take this home here. Sound of Metal, we're going to get to it as a big favorite in another category uh, that oh, I think yeah. it'll win. Let me so, guess, the sound category. Yeah, so I think that the editing of the Chicago 7 will win here. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so Trial of Chicago 7, we'll put that in. If the one thing that I've learned about the best editing category at the Oscars, they love a good time jump. Like, I thought, I like Dunkirk. Dunkirk's one of my favorite Nolan movies, but I thought the editing in that movie was horrible because I couldn't figure out what hmm. was going on the entire time or who everyone was because everyone looked exactly the same. Now, maybe that was the point of the movie, that it was just one unit, that kind of thing of the British Army during that time period. But I I just found it was confusing at some points where I couldn't really tell who was who and who was going on, but that like runs away with best editing. And I just thought it was very poorly edited for me just watching it. You know, I do editing in my day-to-day -day job, video editing. I can figure out how some of this stuff works, but they do love the different time periods and weaving different stories into one. Like that, that's just like catnip for the best editing category. Yeah. And, you know, likewise, you know, I agree. I, I mean, it took me probably the second time to truly understand what I was watching with Dunkirk time period wise, like what happened before what. Um, and it is a bit confusing, but I think maybe the people that did see it again or got it the first time, you know, probably appreciated the degree of difficulty. I think with Trial of Chicago 7, it's pretty seamless, works very well. And I think that with Sound of Metal, it's probably what I would imagine they're giving credit for is the way that it, you know, uh, plays a lot with the, the sound and the perspective and, you know, Sound of Metal for those who don't know is about a guy who's basically going deaf um you know he's a heavy metal drummer and he's pretty much losing his hearing he's kind of coming to terms with that and they play a lot with the sound design but they also play a lot with the editing and kind of you know showing you as a viewer what it feels like to be going through that similarly the the father which is in a you know a terrible underdog position and has zero chance of winning that movie's about a guy you know going through you know early onset or even late onset dementia and uh, they do some really interesting editing stuff in that movie. So that would be a movie that I would think in a, in another year, maybe against some different competition, could that could be its award to win here. Because um, I think that in the production design and some other ways that the craftsmanship of that movie helps carry through the narrative of this, this great performance by Anthony Hopkins, of course, but you get to go through it with him due to some tricks that they do, but with both the editing and with, with the design and stuff like that, and even the casting. So it's a shame. It's, I think, 20 to one. I wouldn't take it here, but that's another movie where I think the editing is on the forefront. Um, I wouldn't be shocked with Sound of Metal. So here, flip a coin. If you want to take Sound of Metal here, it's fine. But I think, again, if you have people going down their ballot and taking the favorite, you might get you might be able to pick up a point here if you end up winning with Trial of Chicago 7. And I think what I can see happening, and this has nothing to do with the psychology of the voting, but just as a, as a, a, a bit of a, uh, <laughs> someone who is a bit of a cynic, uh, the editing award sometimes is a precursor for the best picture winner. And I know a lot of people are going to be watching on Sunday, dreading any time someone says trial of the Chicago seven, and that includes editing and screenplay. And so I could see editing coming out in the first third of the telecast, it winning and a bunch of people in film Twitter being like, uh Oh, uh Oh, and I think no, no Madeline still takes it. But uh, so I, that's why I kind of, I kind of see it winning here for some reason. I kind of feel that panning out. 
Best production design. If Mank doesn't win cinematography, this seems to be its best bet to pick up an awards minus 500 favorite. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is plus 650. Tenant is eight to one. And you have that weird Tom Hanks movie from Apple Plus that came out that I don't think anyone does. Anyone watch Apple Plus? Well, what's interesting is you're confusing. So the other movie, so Greyhound is the Apple Plus oh, one. I'm sorry. Which is, and News of the World is the, you had to rent it movie, you know, so even worse. But uh, I watched this movie. It's, you know, not great. Um, and so I, yeah, I can check this one off. I wouldn't uh, give it to this one. I don't even know what was so great about the production design. It's kind of like your standard Western. Uh, but to go back to The Father, I think The Father would be a great movie to give this to. But if, again, it doesn't look like it in that spot there. I love the way Tenet looked. I think that's a really cool nomination here i would love if it was a live dog i don't know why ma rainey is i mean to me it's a movie that i mean is so clearly like a stage adaptation and i think did a decent job of moving it onto the screen but like to me i wasn't like blown away by the production design by any means mank i totally get it here it makes sense uh so i think mank does win but if it doesn't i wouldn't be shot i mean man talk about like a really really live dog at plus 2000 i would throw five bucks on the father i really would you know, because the production design, if I can, you know, I don't think this is a spoiler to say that the movie's about a guy, you know, kind of losing his wits and, 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 you know, he has dementia and he's kind of, and uh, a lot of what they do is, you know, he thinks he's in his flat, but he's really in a, in a home. And, and it's kind of like, you know, toying with you as a viewer and what you're seeing and where he is and where he, th you th you're seeing it from his perspective, but then you're seeing it from the other person's perspective and this and that. And a lot of that, as much as the editing is also in the screenplay, but in the, in the production design. So, at 20 to one worth a five piece. I think I don't think it takes it. I wouldn't take it in your pool in the pool. I would lean towards Mank here. Probably I would stay with it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't love Ma Rainey as a second pick there. Do you find it odd that Tenet's not getting all the love in these technical categories? Because it seems like there's that one movie every year that kind of, like the year that The Matrix came out. The Matrix didn't have any huge nominations, but it like- Mad ran, Max Fury Road. Mad Max Fury Road. But that was at least nominated for Best Picture. But there's these certain right. movies that are so above and beyond technically. And when we had our David Fincher versus Christopher Nolan discussion, and we talked about the budgeting that comes along with Christopher Nolan, I'll talk about that with Cust. Uh, if you're listening to the audio podcast, probably at the back end of this show if you're watching the video it's its own separate video which will be coming out a little bit later where we talk about the movies of the last 15 years because we had nothing else to talk about because neither of us saw any of these movies but he loved Tenet but Tenet to me just seems like the perfect representation of a movie that would kill these categories and it's not even getting any love here I think what Tenet ended up being was the, it was like the fulcrum it was like coming to a head of both what people who hate Christopher Nolan wanted to hate about this movie and successfully were able to hate about it. And that also what some people who even like Christopher Nolan would just kind of went over their head and they didn't even like it. So that coupled with the frustrating release strategy of this movie, this movie was earmarked to potentially be the big return to theaters. They overshot it. They really, they honestly, Nolan, I appreciate him like standing firm, but they really should have put this on HBO max or whatever they needed to do, made it easier for people to see, because I think it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way uh, because it's one of those movies. Again, Nolan over the last 20 years has built up this cachet where you want to see his movie, not just in theaters, but the week it comes out and he made everyone decide, do I want, to die potentially to see this for a lot of people the answer was no and for a lot of people that pissed them off so then when it you know showed up on their lawn as a screener or when it finally came around to rent for twenty dollars in january they said f you or, or they said i've already heard for six months that this is hard to understand or it makes no sense and if you go into that movie thinking that yeah that sentiment is going to be echoed 
I wanted to love it. I actually did risk my life and go see it in a theater in Stanford, Connecticut in September. And, you know, I still had to see it again at home and I still had to put on the subtitles and it's a hard, but again, a lot of his movies, he has built up this equity with people where, you know what? Didn't love the first time. Give it again. Boom. Oh, now I do appreciate it. And that's probably what he got from Dunkirk and Interstellar and Inception and all these other films. But with this one, I think he, he, he really sacrificed a little bit of that goodwill with the way he handled this. And you see that with it not picking up score, which I think it should have been of dude, the guy who does the score for this movie, because what happened was Hans Zimmer could not do this movie. It's the first time he hasn't done a Nolan score. And I think uh, since I want to say the prestige, uh, the only reason he couldn't do it is because he was doing the James Bond movie, which ironically was supposed to come out before around the same time and still hasn't come out. So he goes to Ludwig Göransson, who won best score for black Panther. He has since done the score for the Mandalorian. He is amazing. And he somehow both embodied the epic nature of a Hans Zimmer score while creating his own new kind of Nolan uh, back and forth. And it was breathtaking. And the fact that that missed here and the fact that it only picked up visual effects and production design, I think it can go home empty handed on Sunday, including production design where it's tech. I mean, including uh, uh, visual effects where it's technically the favorite. So I think Nolan kind of shot himself in the foot with this movie. I think in a different I honestly think in a different scenario, not even in a different year, but I think truly definitely in a different year, if say no pandemic, this comes out in the theater, I think this gets, you know, uh, sound. I think it gets, uh, you know, a visual effects score, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think maybe even Robert Pattinson sneaks in a best supporting actress conversation. Who knows? Right. Even in the pandemic, if they drop this on HBO Max and made it easy for everyone to enjoy, I still think it picks up some of those extra tech categories, picks up score. And I think it's kind of, yes, probably one of the only big budget fun movies we have on this slate of relatively small movies since Dune moved off this year and fast moved off this year and Top Gun moved off this year. And Nolan would have been the one guy to clean up all that stuff. Instead, he made it. So you had to go to the theater. Not enough people did it. And I think he kind of shot himself in the foot with a movie that was already kind of a hard sell. So uh, now I, I, I really like it. And I feel like the people who didn't like it, I have a hard time talking him out of it. And I think that's part of the reason why. Yeah, I still haven't seen it, so I'm, I'm going to wait. Maybe they'll re-release it go. into theaters, and I well, can go watch it in IMAX. May 1st, it's going to be on HBO Max. I don't know if you guys have that up north, but uh, May 1st, it will be for free if you're an HBO subscriber on HBO Max. All right, it's money time in the pool. This is, here, this is how we win, so we need you to be right here. Best animated oh, short. So we have, what is this? If Anything Happens, I Love You, minus 335 is the favorite, then Opera, Burrow, Genius Loki, and Yes People. Hmm. So look, I mean, the one way to go about it is chalk and I'm okay with that. I did see Burrow. I actually watched it. It's on Disney plus is delightful. I think that's always kind of a safe bet to go Disney. So yeah. So um, Burrow, check it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next one. Best documentary short, a love song for Latasha minus two fifty. A concerto is a conversation. I mean, I would dispute that, but I guess I have to see the documentary short plus three fifty Colette 10 to one hunger ward, 12 to one. Do not split. 14 to one. And who even sees these things? Really? All five of these are comedies. As you can tell, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I would say, I would say a love song for Nat Latasha uh, is the favorite and just feels, you know, it feels like a win for me. So I would go with that. All right, one. So we'll and go. I do not, we'll go, we'll do not go say chalk. thanks for doing all the research, Scott. I'm literally judging it on the thumbnail photos of the post. You're showing. <laughs> okay, perfect. So. Best live action short, the letter room plus 165 Two distant strangers plus 150 feeling through 12 to one, the present 12 to one white eye. 33 to one. I just feel like not enough people see these things or care, but still vote on them that you can just see weird upsets. 
Yeah, it happens all the time. And again, you, you joke about it being the categories that end up winning these pools. I sometimes will try to f- negate that and I will make them less because uh, because I don't think that's a, I mean, it's one way to look at it is it's like a fun way to win a pool. And then the other way is like, that's what I got kickers oh, yeah. taken out of most of yeah, my Yeah, listen, kicker, kickers is one thing, but now you're like, oh, I don't think the tight end should be in the league because there's only no, three no, good I tight can- ends and not everyone can have one. Hey, you got to make your picks. Come on. Uh, so I'm going to go with, I don't know if you noticed the uh, good looking chap in poster number one there in the favorite spot, but that is Oscar Isaac. So uh, I'm going to go with that movie um, because <laughs> it's rare. It's rare you get a, a big star in one of these. So I think that'll jump out at people. Uh, I'm going to pick two distant strangers just based on this thumbnail. I think that's going to win. You know what you did is you went to the restaurant and you didn't get the cheapest bottle of wine. You got the second, second cheapest. cheapest bottle of wine. Yeah. That's what you did. Yeah, You could have got the cheap Pinot, but instead you upped it to like a cab sav that was like there you go. 24 bucks or something like that. Best costume yep. design, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Huge favorite, minus 500. Yeah, this was a lot tighter. And I think that Emma was considered to be in there as a live contender because I think British period films often do well here. And this one even has like an, another spin to it is this kind of got like a modern clueless like feel to it as well with some of the costumes, but um, not full on 90s, but like in a way with the colors and stuff, um, different palette. But Ma Rainey has won uh, a lot of the precursor awards. And I think that, uh, you know, Ma Rainey, it's ironic because it did not pick up the best picture nomination here. But uh, with having the potential for two of the best actor wins, especially the one that we know is a lock and maybe two of Viola wins too, um, it could come out of the awards as having won the most awards, which is really <laughs> interesting for a movie not nominated. Uh, so I think here it's safe to say it might pick this one up. I think it has a better chance in makeup, but um, I wouldn't be shocked if Emma pulled the upset, but I would go Ma Rainey here. Okay. Best sound, Sound of Metal, minus 2,500. Let's just check that one yep. right in that leads us to yep. best visual effects tenant yep. is the favorite at minus 560 but we even talked about it that the midnight sky a movie which you did not like or make it through is plus 275 it might be the pick here yeah, I would take this in the pool too, actually, because I think a lot of people in the pool are going to, they know Tenet, they've heard about Tenet for years, they don't know what Midnight Sky is, if they Google this, they'll see the odds, they'll go Tenet, 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 and again, it's not a sword I want to die on, but it's like, to me, I love Tenet, like, I don't think Tenet's going to be mad at me for saying this, I just, I don't believe in the relationship that Tenet has overall with the the voters and with the viewers and with Hollywood, I think it's not a well-liked movie, and I think you can tell, again, as you said, by not the, the, the other nominations it failed to even get so as much as i think it should be a runaway here i think i think it's a good pool pick and a nice little betting underdog in uh, mr midnight sky all right that will do it for the oscar pool picks there's something i want to bring you back for at a later date to talk through about the oscars maybe we can say this for next year's show but you put out they, they said pick your three favorite oscar best picture winners of the past 40 years and you went parasite no country and a tie between gladiator and braveheart for third I think I got some problems yeah. with that. Well, you know, I, I get it. But, you know, to me, I, I believe it was framed as like only four get to stay and the rest have to go away and stuff. And like Schindler's List, of course, I think is one of the best movies ever made, but I can only watch it every 10 years, you know. And so I tried to think of the movies that, you know, both I really like, but both that I watch the most often. And I really would say that most years the Oscars gets the best picture winner wrong. And I can count on two hands, probably the times that they got it right. And among those 10 times, you know, by far my favorites, I think, are probably Parasite and No Country for Old Men. I think both are like absolutely perfect movies. 
I love Braveheart. I think probably without Braveheart, there is no Gladiator, but I think Braveheart has some problematic things about it. Mainly no. it has one problematic guy about it, you know, <laughs> but Braveheart, I think is one of the, the best movies ever made. Truly one of the best movies of the nineties. But the fact that I can't get past the Mel Gibson of it, probably a hundred days of the year, you know, I, I lean towards Gladiator, but I think both of those are kind of neck and neck. And if you want to know who my tier twos are, it's Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the, Lam- Silence of the Lambs is number one. Yeah. I love Start Silence out. of the Lambs. You know, I love Silence of the Lambs too. Um, it's probably, like I said, my next tier, but you know, yeah. All right. Scott Yeager at Shotty Yeager. Departed. I like to pardon. Yeah. I like to pardon too. That's not a great movie. It's a fun movie. I just rewatched it. It is, it is not, you know, it's funny. It's like people say it's not a great movie. I think it is a great movie, but it's not a prestige movie by any means. No, There's it's like just so fun. much. It's like John, yeah, it's, it's like John fun. Wick. Yeah, it kind of and and like and and uh, Jack Nicholson's doing one of the most odd performances that I've ever seen, and Mark Wahlberg, which I remember loving at the time, and somehow he got nominated for the Oscar, is doing like such a surf surface level shtick, but it works. But it's still like I, I can't believe he got nominated, and like DiCaprio didn't, uh, because la- that year he got nominated for Blood uh, Blood Diamond, which when was the last time you watched that? But upon rewatch, he is so good in The Departed. Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the great unheralded performances is him in that movie because that movie does not work if he is not as good as he is and uh, it works for me don't throw any shade of blood diamond my man demon hanashu was great in that and in in america a very underrated movie which no one has really ever seen but either way i will let you get out of here i have taken up way too much of your time at shot of jagger on twitter challenge mania podcast what's the patreon for the challenge mania podcast patreon.com slash challenge mania and we've been doing weekly watch alongs for all-stars which i know up in canada you guys don't get yet but for those watching or listening to this that do watch all-stars on paramount plus you can watch it with us and more importantly go watch it with derek who's on the show and you can watch him watch it and uh then ask him questions about it live on zoom so we're doing fun stuff during this first time he's been on the show since we started the podcast so it's been a lot of fun It would not be an Oscars season. You know, we can break it down with Scott all we want with his informed picks and his informed bets. But one of the greatest Ander curses of all time was how La La Land, a minus 1,000 favorite to win best pitcher, lost at the Oscars. Actually, initially, it had won. And then some person went to Twitter to claim claim credit for picking a minus 1,000 favorite. Then all of a sudden, I got overturned in the Lost, so it lost to Moonlight, thus inventing one of the greatest... It was the most Andercursed thing of that year when we did the Custy Award. So let's see if he's got some more tricks up his sleeve, some more magic to help us curse some of these high-end favorite movies. We'll see who the Oscar picks are coming from. From Tim Undergust. Tim Undergust. That's not my name. 1917 did me no favors last year either. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. And that was the thing. You, you were all on 1917. Scott and I broke it down. Scott and I were all over Parasite and all of the Parasite different plays that you can make. And boom, cashed a whole bunch of money at the Oscars that well, last year. Hopefully, we can do the same thing this year. Here's the problem, Tim. And I know you're in the same boat as me. I'm still going to bet on the Oscars. I'm still going to take you know all my Oscars picks and pools. And Scott and I went over everything already. So people already know this. But you might not i've only seen one of these movies that's nominated for best picture yeah i've seen very 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 little of movies this year i have to admit that are new uh i love going to the movies i have always loved going to the movies and seeing uh you know what's new from hollywood and obviously that has been incredibly difficult to do i saw tenet in the theaters tenet was amazing it 
should be all over this board and is nowhere. Uh, but I just haven't seen much. And so I'll make picks because the people insist upon it. But, uh, you know, my, I, I, I really don't know. So the only one of the best pitcher nominees that I've seen is the trial of the Chicago 7, which didn't think was all that good. Not going to lie to you. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, it's got the second best odds to win. Yeah, but, but Nomadland is such a huge favorite. It's not a La La Land-esque favorite, mind you. But it seems to be, I don't know. I would think that if there's ever going to be a spoiler, it's probably going to be Minari. People love that movie. I really want to see it. It's on Apple TV, and I can't figure out how to get it. My Chromecast, I, I my, my, my Chromecast won't accept, my old version of the Chromecast won't accept my Apple TV, and I don't want to watch it on my computer. So that's a plight yeah, I, I made with I Minari. have the exact same, pro- exact same problem over here. Yeah, I'm sure you do. So what do you like for best pitcher? I am going to basically, this is like an NCAA bracket with somebody who hasn't watched a minute of college basketball. I know that Nomad Land is the heavy favorite, and so I'm going to pick them all over the place and put my stamp of approval on them. Okay. So in the acting categories, you have overwhelming favorites. Like Nomad Land is not even a huge favorite compared to like Chadwick Boseman for best actor. Who is act- guaranteed to win. Yeah, and uh, the director of Nomad Land, uh, Chloe Zhao. Zhao? Zhao? Yeah. Now, minus 3,335, uh, Daniel Kaluuya is minus 2,500 in Best Supporting Actor. The only one that seems up for grabs, so maybe this is where you need to make your pick, is Best Actress, because no one, I mean, Carrie Mulligan's the favorite, but she's actually plus money, which is huge. It seems like, you know, that one's actually up in the air between four actresses. I'm going to take Frances McDormand there. You are, so you think just a nomad-led train is going through? Well, I, don't, I mean, I don't know about that, whether it's a train. I just think that... It, other than like Parasite, it's very uncommon for movies to win Beck's picture and not win a bunch of acting categories as well. And so I, I think it picks one up here. I feel like that's been changed. And maybe I'm misremembering it. Like Shape of Water one, right? Yes, that it did. did and th- that didn't have any acting. Didn't it? It had no wins for acting. You, you could be right. I'm, I may be misremembering that. I, I feel like that's something that used to always be the case and has, like, L'Artiste did not win any uh, acting categories when it won. Yes, it did. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the, 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 he the, won Best Actor. The, he won? He won? <laughs> yes, he won Best Actor. Is there more forgotten about Best Picture movie ever than that one? Uh, well, I was going to say Shape of Water because no one talks about that movie ever or Green Book, which no one ever talks about. I guess so. I don't know. I would say Crash. Or Moonlight, which, which nobody saw then and nobody has seen since and no one talks about, other than the fact that it won based on that weird thing with, uh, uh, with, with the Best Picture envelope. Like, the, the last, what was the last big movie to have even been nominated for Best Picture? I mean, maybe there were a couple last year. 1917 did well. But what was the last big movie to win Best Picture? It's been forever. No wonder the ratings are down. Add that and just fewer people see movies now as well. And maybe they're watching it. Or a lot of people just like stream it through Twitter and then just want to talk about it the entire time too. But I mean, your, your point is well taken, but there was also that year where it was like no country, there will be blood. And there was the three other ones. And almost 20 years ago, it was 2008. 
Okay, so it was 13 years ago. It is, but that was a year where, I mean, There Will Be Blood and No Country did, like, decently at the box office. And a lot of their box office got generated by them being the overwhelming awards favorites after the fact when it came out and they were still in theaters. So people went to go see them. But, like, I just recall that year in particular. It was also, like, the year, like, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck. I forget what won that year. But there was, like, five nominees that were all, like, mid-range to smaller movies. There weren't, like, huge hits in there. No, it did. It, it, maybe that is the way things are going, but all the worse for it then. Uh, I, I would prefer to see big blockbuster movies do well at the Oscars, and I think that would A, juice up the ratings, and B, uh, again, be, it, it would be good for the culture that we'd all have, again, the same type of movies to talk about. Now it's everything hived off and nobody watches the same things anymore. So then the Oscars would come on and, and you've never heard of any of these movies. Like, that, that, how is that good? Is pop culture supposed to be something that's fun that we can all participate in? It sounds like that you would prefer the People's Choice Awards over the Oscars. Well, I mean, the People's Choice Awards have no pedigree, but at least they're picking things, for the most part, with some obvious exceptions that are popular. I would say that Parasite, everyone saw Parasite last year, and that became like a, pheno- like a mini-phenomenon of a movie that people really got into it. It had great word of mouth, and then everyone just ended up seeing it and really liked it. I would certainly concede that of the last, like, four or five best pictures, yes, it is the most popular of that bunch. Yeah, green... I don't think I would fight you on that. Yeah, well, it was like the year that Green Book won. What was the... I, I thought the... I mean, I thought the favorite was by far the best movie that year. But, like, Black Panther was obviously a huge movie. Roma was really good, but it's hard to track how well Roma did or didn't do. A, it's a foreign language movie, but it was also a Netflix movie. And once you start injecting, and that's what we're seeing this year, like, oh, you have an Apple Plus movie in here. You have a few Netflix movies in here that I have no idea how seen any of these movies are. They could be incredibly well seen because people have Netflix. No, but you kind of know that they are just by what's the conversation on social media and such. Yeah, but that's, not, that's, that's never really a great barometer of anything. It's not a terrible sense of what people are talking about in terms of pop culture. Eh, maybe, amongst the people that you follow. Okay, but like that sort of stuff also finds a way to trickle into like eTalk Daily and stuff like that, which I also tend to watch, and it doesn't come up on that. I'm trying to see, uh, The Shape of Water year was the same year as, remember Three Billboards, that movie? Yeah, I did not like that movie. Yeah, uh, Dunkirk was that year. Get Out was that year. Lady Bird was that year. Phantom Thread was that year. This is actually really good movies that year. There were well, Phantom Thread's terribly overrated. Phantom again, Thread, nobody thought, Phantom no Thread is excellent. I've watched yeah, it like probably right. five times since it's come out. When I say nobody. I don't mean as like no human being ever. I mean like almost nobody. Yeah, but you have to understand that being a PTA movie is that it has a baked in fan base just to begin with it's like when a wes anderson movie comes out might not necessarily be my cup of tea but there's going to be so many people that just continue like to re-watch the grand budapest hotel i, I like i like wes anderson movies but they're not i prefer pta movies yeah i can come and go i think there's probably more bet more better wes anderson movies than pt anderson movies but I, I i'm just saying that without being certain of it well i mean if we were to like rank the best of their movies combined PTA would probably have the best four. Oh, I don't know that that is true. In fact, I don't think that's true at all. Well, There Will Be Blood and Boogie Nights are by far one and two on that list, no matter how you shake them down, whichever one that you perform. Let's let's concede that. I would probably have Tenenbaums three. Tenenbaums has a case to be three. And like Grand Budapest, I didn't like, uh, was it Moonrise Kingdom? I didn't love Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, that's a good movie. As is the fantastic Mr. Fox. 
Uh, Life Aquatic is really good. Yeah, they're they're and like they're like they're, just oh, like they're, Anderson movies. they're okay movies for a laugh. Like they're not great movies. Like Magnolia has a ton of flaws, but it's a better movie than the Life Aquatic. I I, I don't know. I think Magnolia is sort of like isolating and sort of weird. Yeah, well, it's a movie about cancer. That's kind of the point. Yeah, but I just like it's it's not like it's hard for the viewer to actually like get into that movie. What else? Moonlight one. Oh, Arrival came out that year. I really liked Arrival. Yeah, I don't know if I've you're, it's a Denny Villeneuve movie. Spotlight one. Was that yes. a, was that a hit? No, neither was Birdman, which also won. Birdman. Oh no, because Mad Max should have won that year, obviously. You a movie oh, yeah. that somehow you don't like that the world loves. No, I don't like that movie. I don't like the the good guys. There are, there are movies that some people love that I hate, and I just don't like those movies. Yeah, Birdman won. What was the other favorite that year? Boyhood? Uh, it could have been. And American Sniper was the big, like, hit that year. That, and I really like that movie, but I also like Clint Eastwood movies. That you do. Like, you base your whole life being, like, the guy from Gran Torino, don't you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> But like even like the the fifteen seventeen to Paris like that's a really good movie if you actually give it a chance. Did anyone give it a chance? I think like all Clint Eastwood movies, other than like Jersey Boys, I think it did really well. Yeah, I mean they're super. When you say it did really well, I don't think it was like a box office smash. But they don't need to make like, a lot of lose money. No, they, they do. always come well, under budget and they on do. Time. Yeah, it's it's hard to lose money when all your movies cost like five million bucks. <laughs> yeah, well, Eastwood is a very economical filmmaker. Trying to see 12 Years a Slave one that beat American Hustle. Oh, Captain Phillips. Now we're really backing it up. This is what year is this? This is 2014. It really has yeah. been a while. Like, because remember, Gravity was going to win that year. Gravity was a huge hit. People really yes, liked it, it. Then it just lost Best Picture. Wolf of Wall Street was that year, too. Which was a very good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Argo. I, Argo is probably the last like crossover hit movie that won. Yeah, well, because it's Ben Affleck, you think? That's why? I mean, well, I liked did, that movie. It, it did great at the box office, too. It was just a movie people liked. I can see it. I can see it. I probably had a pretty good cinema score. Maybe. Uh, what, I think the biggest hit from that year, I'm just looking at what Argo was up against. Uh, Django was probably, Django probably made the most money of any of those movies. Mm-hmm. Lincoln was that year, Silver Linings Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty, which is my- I love all five of those movies. Which, I mean, Zero all Dark five. Has, I haven't seen Zero Dark Thirty since the theaters. I can't imagine that movie's aged particularly well. I don't know, but I remember seeing it and loving it. And I remember seeing all five of those movies and loving all of them. And they're better than just about anything that's come out in the last several years. Well, you didn't, even see, you didn't even see the movies this year. How well, do you know? but I mean, okay. You know, I, I guess I have to put a pin in that and say, okay, fine not compared to this year like everybody else i i don't have the ability to see these movies i don't have the fire sticks and you have you you have netflix i know this because i use your account so yes i have you could watch like three of these movies on netflix i have netflix but even then like i'm i tend to go back to the old things that i know okay oh the master came out that year too the master also a movie which is probably better than most wes anderson movies you and i both love the master I, I I adore the master. Been here for trillions of years. <laughs> Let's play a game. It's called Pick a Point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's on the wall behind me. Yeah, it's down there. I don't think people can see it behind me. That's the master's. It's a weird rewatch if you watch it like constantly, but it's very rewarding to go. Th- those two performances are so good. Amy Adams is awesome in that movie too. 
But everyone, yeah, I love it. The movie's just so weird. Remember, I went to go see it with friends when I was living out west, and they laughed and went, "What was that?" Yeah, it was like, I was like I thought that was great. It was like when we all saw. I don't know if you were with us when I, me, and like nine other people went to go see There Will Be Blood on opening night, and half the people. Were like, oh, I didn't see that. One. What the fuck is this? It's no, it's no crank. No, I mean, Crank was a just a crowd pleaser. Yeah, the year the artist won, Moneyball probably should have won. That was a huge hit, too. I was very fond of that movie. Oh, man, Jean Dujardin for L'Artiste. He beat out the Tang for Descendants. Gary Oldman for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is an awesome movie, and Brad Pitt and Moneyball. Jeez, that's, that's, a, that's a rough go of it. Yeah, but I told you he won. Yeah, no one's ever heard of him since, unless no, he's been in something I've never heard of. I mean, what he should have done was danced on the chairs like Roberto Benigni, then everyone would have remembered his name. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, who would ever remember Roberto Benigni after that? No, you're right. Nobody would. But he danced on the chairs. King's Speech. Well, that one was a tough go. I really liked that movie. It's not that, I don't think, I, I feel like the King's Speech gets a bad rep because it's such an undeserving best picture winner versus what it was up against that in people's minds yeah, now, it's a shitty movie. movie. No, you can't, but people yeah. do. Because it beat, I mean, just all of the movies that it was up against are probably yeah, it better beat the social movies. Network. I know. It, and, it, and it beat Inception, which I, I love Inception. Everyone kind of Yeah, I love Inception, Inception too. But the, so social, listen, I that. but the social network's basically, what? If we were to rank the best movies of the past 20 years, it's one of the it's top one 10. of the most iconic. Yeah. It's definitely one of the most iconic. But, like but, the, but the fighter <laughs> came out that year, too. Toy Story 3, True Grit. Everyone liked True Grit. I don't know that anybody but me saw True Grit. There yeah. was literally two people in the theater when I went to go see it. How much money do you think the True Grit made at the box office? Well, it's a Coen Brothers movie, so I, it, it's got some buy-in. So I, 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 let's say $40 million. $40 million is your go-to on this one? Yeah. What if I told you that True Grit, the most successful Coen Brothers movie, made $171 million at the box office? I would say I am shocked to hear that. Yeah, it was just a huge hit. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it, but I felt like at the time that it was sort of like yesterday's news come that Academy Awards. I think that by the time the Oscars came around, it was that, but it was just a giant hit. I guess I, I didn't see it that way. I mean, I loved it, but it just seemed like it was just getting no steam than all those other movies. But again, I, the, the reason that King's Speech won is because the acting in it is better than in any other, other of those movies. And it's because some of the best actors and actresses are in that movie. That's why it happened. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I would say the social network still beats it in that regard. I, I don't know. There's While there are some great performances, there are some bad performances. What would be the bad performance in social network? And don't say Timberlake, because that's not a bad performance. No, he, his is tremendous. But, like, I, I, Eisenberg as Zuckerberg is awesome. Rashida Jones is the only one I can really point to that seems out of place. She's out of place. And as far as I'm concerned, the the, the, the guys playing the Winklevoss twins are not that believable. Like, they're just, like, they're caricatured and, like, they talk in a stilted way. And you're like, I know I'm supposed to hate them and they're trying to make me hate them, but, like, I don't know. They didn't seem to fit. And I, I anyway, that, that's my opinion. And listen, I don't want to nitpick because I really love that movie, but it's not as well acted as the King's Speech. And that's why it lost. Now you can say, well, that shouldn't be the reason. And maybe it shouldn't have been the reason, but that is the reason. I don't think so. I think it's because the Academy, especially at the time, very, very old and loves like period pieces. 
<laughs> I guarantee you the Academy would do it all over again. I don't think that they would. I think they would probably recognize the movie, which most be, if you took like a, a preferential vote of all of the movies of, like I said, this millennium, that would be a top five movie. They'd probably vote for that Yes, because if there's one thing that the Academy has been doing recently, it's been awarding movies that have been beloved and well-watched at their awards. That's one thing they've definitely been doing. No, what I would say is that you... I know, you can always kind of project it out into the future that if you had the knowledge of, you know, five, ten years passing to redo those Oscars, there's no way Social Network loses. Maybe. It I was... kind of think the Academy would stick to its guns. But... No, see, I don't think so, because you have to remember when that movie came out. Like, that was a pretty cutting-edge movie, especially, like, what is that, 2010? Yeah. That, like, Facebook is still pretty young at that point, and it kind of it predicted, is. you know, the crazy person and just... You know, the coldness of the person running Facebook and where Facebook would go over the next decade. You're not getting any complaints from me. I really like the movie. I just thought that it wasn't a perfect movie. Uh, and I tried to give an explanation as to why I think the Academy voted the way it did. And it also loves period pieces. Because who doesn't? Period movies are great. Now, here's a good one. I like period movies. Yeah, period movies can be great. But I think it's far more difficult to make a good contemporary movie because generally when you see a contemporary movie about something that's currently ongoing like that's why zero dark 30 was really good at least in my mind because i haven't seen it since no it was good it was but good. but it felt like oh like this is a really good movie about something that's happening right now that's really hurt locker was the same way that's really tough to pull off hurt locker is the same way i'd say social network uh kind of follows in that remember when like w came out and w was just terrible yeah, it was. Well, it wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be, given that it was an Oliver Stone movie. But yeah, it wasn't very good. No, just as a movie, it didn't really... It, it was it, just poorly casted. Like, James Cromwell as George H.W. Bush didn't work, and uh, James Brolin as W didn't really work, and Richard Dreyfus as Dick Cheney, pretending like he was the Penguin, uh, <laughs> didn't work very well either. And so it just it didn't work. Uh, let's see what else. Yeah, the year the Hurt Locker one. This actually, I didn't realize how good this year was. Uh, 2009, the 2010 Oscars. Hurt Locker won, but I mean, that was the year that Avatar went kind of nuts. Um, well, Avatar lost. The Blind Side came out that year, which is just constantly on my TV when I'm flipping through the channel. So I've probably seen it like 30. Love the Blind Side. Uh, District 9 came out, uh, a personal oh. favorite of mine. Love District 9. You know Peter Jackson produced that movie? He got the Oscar nomination? No. I, well, yes, I did know that was a Peter Jackson movie. Well, he didn't direct the movie, but he produced the movie. Yeah, no, he was, I, I know. District 9 is awesome for anyone that hasn't seen it. Inglorious Bastards came out that year. Up came out. Up in the Air came out that year, too. Up in the Air is very good. I don't it's know. It's better than The Descendants. It was better than The Descendants. I have actually, have you seen Up in the Air since it came out? Because I have not. Nope, I, I, never, I sure haven't. Never I really... saw it at this weird little cinema, and that, I, that is closed now. What, the Oxford? No, no, no. This was out west as well. Some weird little cinema that yeah. uh, made its own popcorn in a cart, which I didn't take because I thought that was incredibly old-timey and weird. But isn't that usually what you're into? No, yeah, but it wasn't being done because it's an old-timey place. It was being done so that these hipsters could, you know, twist their mustaches and say, oh, look at me, how authentic I am, eating my popcorn in a red and white striped box. Ha, ha, ha. No, no, thank you. Yeah, nothing, I'll go without. N nothing hipsters like more than going to a very small cinema, a niche cinema to go see Up in the Air with George Clooney. That is what was going on, in my opinion. Really? That, that's your take on the situation? That, that's my stance, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. 
Um, I'm just trying to think of like what I've seen the most, like since the, I, I think that's a pretty decent way to judge it. Like what movie have you watched the most of these movies over the past 10 years since these awards came out? Like District 9, Inglorious Bastards, and Blindside are probably the three that I've seen the most since. You know what I didn't go back and watch? Precious. <laughs> no. Now, I that, have seen that's The not Revenant a, a couple of times. So seen, oh my that? God. Are you serious? You've seen The Revenant a bunch of times? Well, in your, everything Inuratsu does is pretty magical on the screen. So oh you do God. yourself a favor just by rewatching everything he does. That was hard to get through once. Well, yeah, it's because you don't have much patience. I have a ton of patience. The movie's just not very good. I've seen Django a ton of times. I've seen Silver Lines Playbook a ton of times. Oh, Star Trek also came out that year. The, the first J.J. Abrams one, which is also very good. I, I would wager the Star Trek reboot better than any of the new Star Wars movies. Well, yeah, but that's setting the bar incredibly low. That, not true. We, we saw Force Awakens together. We both enjoyed it. I thought Force Awakens and I thought Solo were both actually enjoyable movies. Uh, you, I think when, when, you, else, when, you, when you say Solo, do you mean Rogue One? Oh, no, I, I meant Rogue One, too. I liked Solo and I liked Rogue One. You hated, Sorry, so you liked, hated Solo. We saw Solo together. You hated it. No, well, I criticized as a nerd some of the the inconsistencies in the plot, but actually, the more I've been thinking over the years, I actually didn't mind that. That was a fun movie, despite some of its stupidity. Uh, eight and nine are just god awful. I actually like Last Jedi. No, I well, I, you're the one. That's not true. I, I think it has the best uh, your your favorite, the best cinema score of the bunch. I guarantee you The Force Awakens has a much higher cinema score. Yeah, it but, probably is an A+. But some people didn't like it because it was just, hey, I've seen this movie. It's called A New Hope. People were hyped to see Star Wars again. Like, that was an event. People don't understand or forget that in 2015, that was the movie event of the last 10 years. I don't think, that people, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that people forget that. It happened five years ago. I do ago. actually think that. No, I, I, th I think that people forget that in 1999, when episode one came out, what a phenomenon that was, because maybe they weren't alive, and that was over 20 years ago. I saw that movie so many times in theaters, I loved episode one. And it's, I'll, I'll and go it's a to the horrible movie. It's horrible. No, it really isn't. I'll, it, it really, really isn't. Is. It's actually really good. All right, let's get back to these uh, Oscar bets here. <laughs> People can tell just how much we watched of this year's movies. Yeah, we, we, we'd rather relitigate the last 15 years of the Oscars <laughs> than talk about this year. Uh, do you have any bets or something like you have a strong lean on? Here, actually, here's why I don't think that Frances McDormand wins. You, she really going to win three Best Actress Oscars? Why not? She's a marvelous actress. I mean, that's such rarefied air. It is, but I don't think the Academy thinks that way. I think that they do. I mean, the Academy thinks in ways that they give. They used to give makeup Oscars to people all the time. Like, people can love Denzel and Training Day all they want, but it's not that great of a performance. It's just fun for Denzel. It's nowhere near one of his best performances. But it's a makeup Oscar. Right, but, but, but you know, you can't, like, judge it against the other movies that it's not up against. You just have to judge it against the movies that it is up against. And yeah, whether but, it's his best movie or not doesn't matter. What... No, but even that year, I feel like that's the year that Hotel Rwanda came out, and Don Cheadle's way better in that than Denzel was in Training Day. Well, that's fair. And I didn't think it was all that close, because we need to get these men some beers. Love that movie. Uh, not super uplifting, though. Yeah, not a great rewatch movie, mind you. No. Um, but a men is nominated for the most movies, so I assume it's got to have a few W's in here. Well, that's what I... I mean, I'll, I'll talk through, I talked through this with Scott, but I don't know if it's going to get 
anything, but there's always sort of the, almost like we talked about at the Oscars with, they love period pieces. They also love movies about movies. Yes. Anything to do with Hollywood in particular or the movie making industry. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that, they, they go for. But that's where La La Land failed because it was about LA, but it was not about movies. Should have saw that one coming. Yeah, it needed to be more about movies. People need that. And now this is a movie about the most famous movie of all time, basically. Yeah, it seems like people would be fired up. The Academy would be fired up for it. Yeah, I would think so, too. I'm surprised it's not getting all of the love. Although David Fincher is second for Best Director. He's 10 to 1. He's the second favorite in Best Director. It doesn't seem like that's going any other direction. But I don't know. It's just weird. Because you always have this big thing about um, Christopher Nolan being disrespected by the Academy Awards. I would say that David Fincher is the one who's actually disrespected by the Academy Awards. Well, multiple people can be disrespected by the Academy Awards. It doesn't have to be a one... Like Alfred Hitchcock and... uh, Kubrick are both disrespected by the Academy Awards. Like, it's not like they only pick one person to attack. I suppose so. I prefer Fincher movies. Not to say that I dislike Nolan movies, which you accuse me of, which is just not true. You don't like Nolan movies. You like one or two, and the rest you purposefully look to take to take strips off. No, just a- no. My argument is that he is not the greatest director who ever lived, which is your argument. I didn't say he's the, he's the best director of our time. He's not the best that director I, of our it, time. It, and me saying that doesn't mean I don't like Christopher Nolan movies. He is the best director of He's our not. time. He's, He's not. the only one for whom his movies are an entire event. Uh, that cannot be said of any other director outside of their like click fandom. For Nolan is so huge that everything he does is just, uh, well, it just changes everything. That would be like saying that Steven Spielberg is the best director of his time, which we just know is not the case. I don't think Spielberg had the cachet. I mean, what, people what knew. Are you, what are you talking about? Spielberg didn't have the cachet. It wasn't Spielberg opening those movies. It was. Tom Hanks opening those movies. It was, you know, you look at the, the, the actors and actresses on there, and nine times out of ten, those are the people opening the movies. The people opening Nolan movies is Christopher Nolan and 70 millimeter. You still don't even know what 70 millimeter is, for one thing. It's, and and uh, so E.T. E- e- with its stat cast, I mean, that didn't do very well. Is that what you were saying? It wasn't. A, Spielberg wasn't what brought people out to E.T. E.T. was a 19, early 80s phenomenon. That's... What brought people out to Indiana Jones? Well, it wasn't Spielberg. It was Harrison Ford. Like, anyway, that's my position. I think I'm right about this. I, I don't think that you are. Um, Spielberg, the most commercial director of all time, with the most a marvelous director. With, 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 he's fine, but I mean, that would be like saying that Stanley Kubrick wasn't the best of his generation, which he was. No one really he went. To, no one really went to Kubrick movies. <laughs> okay, but the '70s was also a different time too. Or the, the, or the 60s, when his better movies I can't came speak, out. What I can say, too, is in our time, there is no director for whom there is a bigger groundswell anytime they put out a picture than Christopher Nolan. That, those are just the facts on the ground. Well, no, the, Nolan movies are very similar in the way that, like, Marvel movies come out. Hey, here's this movie that cost Which are the best things in Hollywood. But they're not, though. You wouldn't. Then why aren't they all nominated for Best Picture? Oh, by best, I mean they make the most money, they draw the most attention, they get the most ink. Sure, but no one is saying that these are the best movies. So whoever directs Marvel movies, they're the best directors. Is that what the similar point no, you're trying to make? I don't think that Michael Bay should win every Academy Award, uh, but I do think there is something to be said for if the people really, really, really like something that bespeaks, and also for the most part, people who like movies outside of people in the Academy who have like an axe to grind against Nolan. 
that shows that Nolan sort of stretches across that boundary of being incredibly popular with the mainstream, but also a lot of critics respect him. Um, I don't know how many directors can say that. Very few. I mean, David Fincher would be, I think, the most logical comp to that, but the biggest are Yeah, but Man on the Street doesn't know David Fincher. They know Christopher Nolan. I think that you know Christopher Nolan. I think if you ask my grandma, she would not. I think if you ask the average person on the street, they would say they knew who Christopher Nolan was. I think that the average person on the street is not particularly concerned about who directs movies. No, but they know who directs movies. Everyone has seen The Dark Knight. Everybody knows that movie. Yeah, because it's a Batman movie, Tim. They know Batman. They don't know Christopher Nolan. They know Christopher Nolan. People who, people who like movies and get into this stuff, obviously they do. But and would have loved Tenet if they had been able to see it. I mean, everyone had a chance to go see Tenet. They decided not to. Uh, but, a lot of people didn't. But, mo- but most of the reason, like the big difference between Christopher Nolan and a lot of the his contemporary directors is that uh, when even you could probably even draw a direct line between the budgets of Christopher Nolan movies on a graph and how well that they open or do at the box office. Like, you know, people weren't really lining up to see The Prestige, which I do think is his best movie, or Insomnia, or some of his lower-end movies in terms of budgeting. But when you're spending $200 million on movies and they get the full advertising campaign that go around it, I think that they're almost destined to be popular at that point. Okay. I don't know that I disagree with you. But I don't see what makes that different than someone constantly, like even let's, I won't even throw in PTA because I love Paul Thomas Anderson. I probably can't be objective on that. But someone like Wes Anderson, like Wes Anderson is also a fantastic director in the same way that I don't like him as much as some of the other directors, but he is one of the directors of this generation who is notable and considered to be one of the best. But what they're trying to accomplish are two completely different things. I agree with all of that. But what, but why do you say that? But why would you think that Christopher Nolan is a better director than someone like Wes Anderson? Wes Anderson's not playing around with two hundred. So maybe million better is the wrong word. Perhaps the word I should have used is more important. I don't understand why he's more important, though. I think that when we look back through time, fifty years from now, more people will remember Wes Anderson movies than will remember Christopher Nolan movies. I think there's almost a zero percent chance of that. See, I don't think and so. I, mean, I, th- I think when we look back through time and the directors that we remember... Interstellar, with Interstellar and The Dark Knight alone and Inception, I, I don't think that... I actually don't think that you're arg- that, that is actually possible. No, and I, as good I, as Wes Anderson was, those three movies will always have more cultural uh, uh, purchase than what Wes Anderson is up to. Like it or not. I just feel like the, when you look at the types of directors that are long-lasting that we remember 40, 50, 60 years after, they tend to be the smaller movie maker. Like, Kubrick wasn't making huge movies, but we remember his movies. Hitchcock, I mean, he didn't make huge movies. He was kind of like the, uh, the Clint Eastwood of his time, just churning out movie after movie. The guy made, like, a movie every single year. They weren't the highest-budget movies, but they were very memorable. And then, you know, the longer we go through time, the more memorable they actually become. So I would think that someone, both Andersons, uh, being a director, and even David Fincher, for that matter, uh, in his, like, mid-tier to smaller-esque movies are just going to end up being more memorable throughout the course of time. The Nolan stuff just thing seems very blockbustery, and and there's going to be a few of his movies that do absolutely last through time, but it's not going to be like an entire catalog. Like, oh, I need to go check out the Nolan collection. I like. I don't think people are going to be like, man, I need to see Batman Begins. I don't know. Maybe he's more like a. He's, he's like. Right Spe- I think Maybe. he's like Spielberg like, in that way. Like or Cecil B. DeMille, perhaps better put. Someone who just is famous for having big budgets and making epic movies that everyone remembers. You could say that, but I mean, I think that his movies are better than J.J. Abrams' movies, but J.J. Abrams is kind of on that same track, too. Kind of. I know Abrams is not as interested in, like, the 
the finer points of filmmaking. In fact, if anything can be criticized of Tenet, is that uh, that Nolan sort of went overboard with trying to create a movie that was all about space and time continuums and like really trying to push the boundaries of, of what cinema can do. Well, I would uh, say I would say that when you look at it, like Christopher Nolan doesn't really seem overly concerned about story or characters, but when it comes to creating set pieces and the visualization of things you see on a screen, like you said, when you go watch it in IMAX, it's fucking immaculate. But like, here, here's a good example. 50 years from now, who, which director do you think people will remember? Christopher Nolan or Quentin Tarantino? I mean, the answer's both. The answer's Tarantino. <laughs> the answer's both. They'll both be remembered, but for different reasons. The answer's just going to be Tarantino. I think you're being dismissive. I, I think the answer's both. No, see, I think when you start seeing, like, 50 years from now, the best 100 movies of all time, it's going to be populated with, like, Tarantino movies or PTA movies or Wes Anderson movies from this time rather than Christopher Nolan movies. Like, maybe The Dark Knight gets on there. Maybe. But I don't know. Not sure. Interception and Stellar. Uh, no, Interception. Interstellar's not going to be on that list, Tim. I hate to tell you. It's such a great movie. That's great. I, I love that you love it. I love that you love things, but it's not going to be considered that way. Those are great movies. They'll be there. They won't be there. Anyway, give us some, some of the hot picks. So you got Nomad Land across the board, and you got Frances McDormand for Best Actress? I do indeed. But people like some of the smaller ones that I feel good about. And so I'm going to give it to you. I like as an upset Nomad Land in uh, Best Film Editing. I think it's like 9 or 10 to 1. Okay. Uh, original Screenplay. I'm going to go with the favorite of Promising Young Woman. Okay. Uh, let's see. Original song, which is becoming more and more like a big category that people seem to really, really care about these days. Do they? I'm gonna go, I, I think so. Uh, the last couple of years, it's become a, like, a central tenet of the Oscar ceremony. Uh, hear My Voice. I'm going to go with that song as the best song. And then Cinematography. I think probably the most underrated of categories. I think that this is where Mac wins. I could definitely see that being shot in black and white Hollywood movie. I could see that, see that one happening. Uh, Scott and I obviously went over our picks for each of the categories. If you're filling out a sheet or maybe that comes out on tomorrow's show. Can't quite remember at this point, uh, based on how these shows get chopped up. Obviously it's a two part event. I wanted to get your talk on. I, I like talking movies. This is fun. We haven't done this in a while. They're all Twix. <laughs> That's TV show. Paul, I can bring <laughs> you in on this. Uh, for best documentary, our favorite, My Octopus Teacher, is the overwhelming favorite to win. Uh, we both watched <laughs> that this weekend. It's got incredible footage. Kind of weird. Really weird. Like, kind he weird? really, really weird. likes that octopus. Did you see it, Tim? I have certainly not seen it. I haven't heard about it until three seconds ago when those words came out of your mouth. Really? You haven't heard about, you haven't heard about the buzz around my... That's one you can... That's on Netflix. You can go watch it. My Octopus? My Octopus Teacher. Is it better than Octopussy? Yeah, yes, it actually is. This but guy... Octopus, Octopussy is not good. This guy <laughs> no, likes octopuses the same way that Tim likes credit. Or Sigs. Or Diet or Coke. Sigs or Diet Coke. This yeah. now seems incredibly creepy. Uh, he's a bit of a creep, uh, if you want to read into it that way. But honestly, like the reason that it's going to win, which I assume it's a minus 500 favorite is the actual footage that he gets like of underwater is fucking spectacular. Really? Yeah. I've never seen anything like it's, it's like a planet earth documentary, but far more 
uh, center like you get to go back to the same place all the time like see the bottom of this like forest in the sea like it's it's pretty he's, incredible he spent like 325 days following around one octopus that is incredibly incredibly bizarre i would recommend checking it out it's uh, not the, the tearjerker that people want it to be because the guy weirds me out too much. But um, I just I was overwhelmed by how good the visuals were in it. Okay. Well, I will, I will check it out. All right. I will probably regret it, but I will check it out. Uh, any, anything else you want to add about the Oscars? No, other than it has no host again this year, right? Is that just never? Is that just going to be forever now that we're just never going to have a host? Is there no Oscars host? There wasn't last year. I haven't read a word about this year's host, so I assume there isn't one. I thought there was an Oscars host. Who is the host? Um, <clears throat> uh, Oscars host. Last year's star started lineup. First round of presenters. Yeah, just seems to be... Hostless. Yeah. That's strange. I think we'll get back to... Uh, to having a host at some point. Like, I, there, it's still... Like, is this year's virtual? It is, isn't it? I haven't. I was going to ask. Like, it would be like the way the, the Golden Globes kind of were, but kind of weren't. I thought the Emmys did the best job of the virtual stuff. I think Kimmel hosted, but like their setup was just way better. Like the Golden Globes, they had fucking people on mute half the time. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tricky. I, I have no idea how it's going to be. And I don't know how much of it I'm even going to watch. Oh, come on. I mean, I like the glitz and the glamour, but there'll be no red carpet. I can't imagine. Is that your favorite part? The red carpet? Who, who are you it wearing? No, it's not. But it's all part of the whole thing. And like Entertainment Tonight has like a week long sh like build up to it. People are talking about it. And it just doesn't seem like that's happening this year with the same sort of um, for obvious reasons. I want to see the sound of metal. I've heard that's very good. <laughs> that's the sound of a Harley Davidson. I was, I was actually trying to do a chainsaw, which is like metal on metal. Oh, my God. All right. That's probably enough of Tim Andergust. Tim Andergust. It's not my name. No, I, I heard that it absolutely was your name. No, I heard it that it wasn't and that people were saying that it wasn't. Well, we're going to have to come better prepared for next year's Oscars when we can go back well, to the Well, if I can go see movies. Yeah, but some of the movies are just going to be on Netflix. Like when Roma came out, I saw it in theaters because... I was I lived in one of the three cities that they put it out into theaters in. Other than that, it was like you're going to see more and more movies that just appear on streaming services. Well, that that's fine. And actually, I like The Irishman, which is fine. But like, make sure that I, the movies are on places that I can see them. Yeah, but these movies are in places that you can see them. You're just choosing not to see them. Well, the Netflix ones, obviously, but the non-Netflix ones, I don't know how to work these things. The HBO Max and the Fire Sticks and all that. I don't have those things. I mean, you could get them. I don't need to get them. I just want to spend my money, go to the theater, watch my movie, and then go home. Uh, yeah, like, uh, Promising Young Woman was on HBO Max, but you can, like, you can rent most of these things off YouTube, you know? Yeah, I don't know how to do that. What do you mean you don't know how to do that? You click I on YouTube, search the fucking movie, and then you're going to be fine. But I don't know how to rent it. You click rent. But, you know, obviously they have to, like, get paid. I'm not just, like, but, like, I don't, I don't know how that would work. You put in your card or your Apple ID oh, no, or however it is that you pay for stuff online and then you get charged for it and then I'm you can watch it. That. You know when you hit the hit the button rent, it doesn't just show you the movie rent? No, I, <laughs> no, I know. But like 
I don't want to put my card in the computer, and I don't trust that. So. Well, for people who don't live in, I don't know, 1973, um, you can do this pretty easily and find all these movies uh, as easy as you want. Free I'm glad they can. Enjoy it, folks. I can't. Free I don't know to how. put your credit card. You know how. You're just a fucking coward. Scares me. What, what scares you about it? I don't need it to get stolen and whatever and like deal with that. And I just don't want to have to have the hassle. Do you really think that the internet is like in that Sandra Bullock movie, the net? You think that's how it works? I think the internet has got a lot of good points and also has a lot of bad points. Yeah. But one of the bad points isn't your credit card security on major websites at this point. Well, I don't know. I don't know that I get uncomfortable. It makes me feel bad and, and, and anxious and I just don't want to do it. Well, why don't you do what a lot of people do, like my grandmother does, where she just has a separate card with a $500 limit that she can make online purchases with. And therefore, if someone steals your information, yeah, it's shitty to be out 500 bucks, but that's all the money they could possibly take. Well, that's not a terrible idea. But See? honestly, I just want there to be a Blockbuster for me to go yeah, to. Yeah, well, rent. Tim, spoiler alert, Blockbuster is not fucking coming back. I wish they would. Why? It's far more convenient just to press the button and you don't have to go anywhere. I don't mind going there. And it's easier now than it used to be because now I don't have to worry about rewinding the cassette. Oh, my God. That will do it on the Pat Mayo experience. Once again, smash the like button to the video and give me your single favorite Oscars bet for this year's Oscars. If you've even seen any of the fucking movies, maybe you're like Tim and can't figure out how to use a streaming service. I don't know. Also, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, and we'll be back with full Oscars by category by category picks if you are wading into a pool or doing some sort of online contest where odds don't matter you're just making picks that'll be out tomorrow stay tuned for that I'm Pat Mayo I'll see you next time Pat Mayo experience experience